Rise up in my life, so I hustle I work to find the finer things up in my life, so I hustle I work to find the finer things up in my life, so I hustle I work to find the finer things up in my life, so I hustle Good evening, Nick at Night listeners. I am really excited to bring this to you guys. Um, just full disclosure, this is my third time <laughs> attempting to record this, which is really funny because it's just Mercury retrograde for anyone who knows, for those who don't, Google it. Um, but the, the, the point of this show is really because I just believe in people. Uh, I believe in our inherent humanity that I think needs to be praised more um, because it, it's fleeting. And I think that uh, we need a, a, a revamp of our humanity and just understand what that really does mean because um, it's very simple. And, and lastly, I just really, really do believe in a, in a brighter, more unified future. And, and that's the reason why I do this podcast. That's I love, I just love people and I, and I love letting them talk about what they're passionate about uh, and what they really um, basically just sets their heart on fire and calls for them to do. And this next guest that you're going to be hearing from, her name is Brittany Hoffman. Uh, she is better known on social media across basically every platform as Brittany Crystal. And don't worry, I'm going to put that in the description. That way you don't need to try and spell that correctly because I guarantee you that you will not. Um, but I'm just excited for you to listen to her. Uh, she has a very interesting story of how she got to where she is now. And I think it's going to be very relatable um, to a lot of you, especially the millennials and uh, Gen Z, the, the ones that are now starting to the very beginning of Gen Z, the ones that are starting to be in college um, but really just for anybody, she's got a lot of really great insight. Uh, she worked on the Gary Vaynerchuk team, um, starting out in LA and then Gary actually loved her so much that he asked her to come to New York and work for her there, uh, or work for him there, not her, him. Um, and, uh, I think that just really speaks volumes to the type of person that this is. Uh, and I'm excited for you to hear from her personally. So. Without further ado, episode 21 um, is going to be an interview with Brittany Hoffman. Hi, Nick. Hi. Got you on the line. Perfect. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Good. So thank you for coming on to the show. This is going to be episode 21 of uh, Nick at Night. So thank you for taking the time. I've been looking forward to talking with you more. Of course. Thank you. Yeah. So for those that are listening um, that probably don't know a whole lot about you, um, do you want to take like a, just a minute or two or three um, and just kind of share a little bit of your backstory, uh, who you are, where you are now, um, kind of the, the points leading up until now as well? Sure. Um, so my name is Brittany Hoffman. I usually go by Brittany Crystal. Those are my handles on the internet on, you know, Twitter, Instagram, and all that fun stuff. I'm a brand director and growth strategy consultant. And I, prior to this, I was actually working on Gary Vaynerchuk's personal brand team. 
and I worked at VaynerMedia with Gary and on VaynerTalent, which is the personal branding arm of the agency for around three years. And if you back all the way up, I actually went to law school and passed the bar in New York before I transitioned even into marketing. <laughs> and so oh, wow. I kind of have a journey to get to where I am now, which is working for myself. But that took a really long time to kind of I guess it's not a really long time if you think about it in the span of things when you're, you know, but when you're in it, it feels like it took a long time to get to where I am now. And oh, just, yeah. I'm based in uh, Los Angeles and Orange County. So to give you a geographic context. Perfect. It's the, I, I've been meeting so many people that are in the L.A. area lately. It's ridiculous. I almost feel like I live there now. I um, mean, the weather, you, can, you can't beat the weather. <laughs> No, no, you really, you can't. I was, my girlfriend and I, we went out to uh, Santa Monica earlier this year and just fell in love with it. We, we uh, were at an Airbnb where they actually had bikes for us to use. And we were able to like bike up and down the boardwalk and like go to the pier and like do all that stuff. And the weather was just phenomenal every single day that we were there. It was just gorgeous. Growing up, I always thought I was meant to be a New Yorker, and then the few times that I've lived in New York now, one, two, three, four, four different times, every oh, wow. time I just want to come back to L.A. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, we're actually, we're looking at ending up on one of the two coasts uh, in about a year or so. We're planning on making our move out of the Midwest, um, out of cheese and beer land, out to the people that are a little more progressive thinking. Um, a little more our speed, our type of people. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm jealous that you're out in LA right now, but I'm excited for, uh, when I get to actually be out there and, and live that culture, uh, all day, every day. No, it's, it's, it's really great. And that's part of the reason why I want to live. I, I just really like the beach. So I currently live like a mile from the beach, which is amazing. Oh, wow. and yes, you can take bikes and be outside. And I think that's a big big aspect of bringing me back to Los Angeles that New York wasn't offering me. Yeah. So do, do you find that like being around the ocean, the beach actually like really like re-energizes and, and fuels you and helps you actually work better? It actually does. Knowing that I can kind of step outside, to be honest with you, I, I'm kind of a workaholic where I'll like pull up in my apartment and just kind of go to work. And I, but I do try to take the time to at least open the door, step outside, walk across the street, go to the right. beach. I go to the beach at least once a week. It's it's too close not to. And I think right. that's super helpful because in a city, I mean, New York is pretty much built in a way that even if you go outside, you're surrounded by buildings. You're not really getting that light. Mm-hmm. And so just being outside makes me feel like, oh, okay. Like I can take a few seconds and relax and then go back in and do work. But I yeah. will say in New York, though, when you do find a nice day, you definitely don't want to work. You don't want to waste the day. We're here. It's just nice all the time. So you kind of start taking it for granted. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's what I noticed. Like when we were there, um, we took for granted that it was so beautiful. And then we come back to Wisconsin and it was dreadful. Like without exaggeration, it was actually dreadful here. It was gray. It was like misting. It was just gross out. And I'm like, oh, my God, bring me back to Santa Monica. See, that doesn't make me want to work at all. That makes me want to go to sleep. Oh, oh, exactly. It's those days where, like, I literally just have to just not pay attention to the outside world at all and just stay in my own little world inside my office or my apartment and, and just make believe that 
today's an amazing day to work super hard. I hear you. So, so tell me, okay, so you went to law school first and then you, then you transitioned. Like, I, I feel like there was some moment that happened within that um, that triggered something for you to be like, okay, wait, I, I think I actually have to change what I'm doing. This isn't exactly what I signed up for or what I thought it would be. Um, talk to me about that. Like, what was that? What was there? Was there, was there a moment, first of all? And if there was, like, kind of walk me through that. Yeah, there was definitely, there were a lot of moments. Uh, I, so growing up was the kind of thing where I was good at reading and writing. So lawyer was the, was kind of the option I was pushed towards. Mm -hmm. Growing up in LA, I was interested in entertainment. Obviously I watched a ton of television. Social media wasn't a thing until I was in college. Like Facebook happened when I was in college at UCLA. And uh, so I was like, okay, lawyer, lawyer, lawyer. I graduated early from UCLA with a degree in history, planning on just going to law school. I worked during my year, I guess what would have been my fourth year of college, at an in-house legal um, department with Coldwell Banker, which is a real estate brokerage firm. And I just noticed that people weren't really happy. Mm. And, I mean, this was, like, in-house legal is kind of a cushy job. It's not a firm. Like, that's what people aspire to. And when the job that the people aspire to didn't seem that fascinating to me, I was definitely keeping an eye on other options. I didn't even want to go. I actually wanted to, like, look around at other things at that point. I was looking into maybe, like, interning at a talent agency or doing something and doing something to get me closer to entertainment. And my parents were like, no, no, no. You know, I was so young. They were like, no, like, that's not stable. If you're an agent, people can just come and steal your clients. You don't want to do that. Go to law school. Like, you can, you know, you you can be an entertainment lawyer. I was like, okay. (laughs) And so, you know, I studied, what what do I know? So I studied for the LSAT. I got into Georgetown Law School. I had a scholarship there. I went. And I loved the people that I met, but I knew immediately that that was not for me. I was not interested in what anything that they were talking about. I was like, this is not, just like even just the theory, I could, I just couldn't sit through like constitutional law and torts. I just didn't care. Right. (laughs) And I've been a good student my whole life. So it made sense for me to keep pushing through it. And I'm, you know, I called my parents. I knew within the first few weeks and I was like, I'm not happy. This, you know, this sucks. Yeah. Like, oh, no, no. And keep in mind, they are not lawyers. They were like, oh, no, no, like, the practice is better. Nobody likes school. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So then during the summers, you try to get either a a summer associateship at a firm or you work at a nonprofit. Or I I got to work at a firm both summers, my first summer and my second summer, but it was during the market crash. So the jobs that were coming up were in securities regulations litigation. So the first summer I worked – I worked suing Bear Stearns on the prosecution side, and the second summer it was like defending countrywide on the other side. Oh, and gosh. And that was so boring. I mean, it, that should have been like one of the most fascinating times for securities because, you know, it, it should have been so interesting. And right. And it wasn't anywhere near what I wanted to be doing. And so at the time, I was watching a ton of television to get through my summers, to get through law school. TV was my reward still. It wasn't a... Uh, it wasn't fully social yet. Yeah. I was still like ramping up. TV was still what I wanted. And so during my second summer, I had a 12 week stint at a, you know, at a firm 
And during week six, I was like, I was never more miserable in my life. I was getting a great paycheck. I had my own office. I had my own secretary. And I was miserable. Hmm. I did not know what to do. And I'd go home, and I worked at the time, and I was, I'm not, a, I'm not super emotional. I was just, like, crying every day before work. I did not want to go. I found a therapist near the office. I'd never gone to therapy before, and I was like, she knew I was just having some kind of crisis because I would look at the people who were above me, these partners, and they weren't happy. And I was like, I can't do this for, you know, I'm like 22 years old. I can't do this for however, for 40 years, 50, however long you're going to be working for. Like, there's nothing in this for me. Right. So it was just, you know, I guess that's a quarter life crisis, but I, I knew early, which is nice. And I realized yeah. that was a really great gift that I wasn't, you know, I didn't wait till I graduated and finished and accepted a job and then had that crisis after I got really going. Mm-hmm. And so basically I went, I made sure I finished school because I wanted to have something that nobody could take away from me. I graduated, I passed the bar in New York City and, uh, or New York State, and then I moved to L.A. and ended up getting a job at ICM, talent agency. I wanted to work in entertainment. So I actually networked to get my foot in the door and ended up on a desk of the vice chairman of ICM. And then I worked in entertainment for how many years? I worked at an agency. I worked at a management company. And then I worked at a production company and later the Lifetime Network for a little bit. And basically what I wanted to do is decide what went on TV. I always thought I had an intuitive sense of what people wanted to see. I was sure. reading the books like Why We Buy, and I actually played poker before I went to law school, and I was really into psychology. It was just just something innate, it's just an intuitive sense. It was really cool for me when I would get it, you know, I'd get it right. Yeah. Or I'd watch a pilot, and I was like, this is this is going to be good. People are going to like this, and then I'd see if it'd stay on television. And what happened when I was at the Lifetime Network is I realized that even – TV was moving so slowly compared to what was happening in social and online. I was spending all my time now online and like just on Instagram and Facebook and advertising was there and it just felt like they weren't taking any risks. It was very corporate. Mm-hmm. And it was like, okay, we should go the safe route, even if it was reality TV. It was just like, let's do, nobody wanted to take a risk because everybody was afraid to lose their jobs to the Netflix and the Hulus and what was coming. And I just thought that's not the position I want to be in. So right. again, people were telling me, I was like, okay, well, I actually really like the marketing and branding aspects of television. Like I, I like getting in the head of the consumer, but how can I do this? Cause I was working in TV development, but nobody wanted any fresh ideas because there's only so many networks and everybody's scared and they just want the safe advertising dollars. So I was like, okay, what do I do if I want to get into marketing and branding? Then? It doesn't need to be television anymore. Like, I want to work in, you know, more of the social media space. And I was told I needed to go to business school. <laughs> so I started studying for the GMAT. And my boyfriend now, and this was in 2014, sent me a Gary Vaynerchuk tweet. I had no clue who Gary Vaynerchuk was. Yep. And, and it said he was opening an L.A. office and – you know, they were hiring. And he was like, you should look into this guy. You should look into this company. Like, check it out. Like, you shouldn't need to go to business school. Just look. And I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> so I went to the website. I went to the careers page. I picked a job I thought maybe I could get in project management. And I applied. And 
I went through several rounds of interviews and I got it. And that kind of started everything that honestly changed my life. It changed the direction I was going in entirely. Right. And, well, that, was, that sounds like that was like yeah. your first, that was like an actual like big break for you into you being able to start to build a career around what you actually really loved doing. Yeah, because every other job, and now I realize, has little bits of what I like to do, but this one finally started putting them all together. Yeah. And it's one of those things where you don't know unless you're trying it, and a lot of people get sucked into, and it's such an old mindset now that, you know, you're going to have this job, you're going to have this career, and this is what you're going to do for the rest of eternity. Yeah. And that's just not the way it is. Yeah, and I almost, like, equate that to – like the, the, the purpose, I almost see it as the purpose for dating. You date to figure out the qualities of the person that you actually really do like. And it's almost the same thing now with your careers in, in business. It's like, like you're just saying, like it's no longer where you are with one company and you're loyal to that company for whatever reason or rationale you chose um, but now you're just trying new shit all the time to figure out and pick and choose what you really love to do. And then you're able to put it all together in one career once you actually learn more about yourself and what you actually really enjoy doing. And I think people don't give enough time to actually learn about themselves. I was always, and I, you know, I know Gary talks about self-awareness all the time. I was always very self-aware about what I liked and I didn't, what I didn't like. So I right. knew pretty quickly if something wasn't going to work out for me. But there's still a stigma attached to, you know, switching jobs, switching careers wasn't that, you know, isn't easy. Even when I was doing it, you know, my former classmates were lawyers were like, oh, my God, I can't. They were jealous that I was doing it, but they couldn't believe I was doing it. Yeah. Like, that's not something you do. Like, you can date as many people as you want and go on as many first dates, and that's, that's okay. But if you, you know, don't like a job after a year, that's, you know, oh, you didn't give it enough time or, oh, can I Mm-hmm. I just think it's a completely different mindset that is now changing. I know millennials also get a bad rap for the other side, where it's like, oh, these people aren't loyal to anything. They need to love everything right away. And I do think it's a balance. Yeah. You, shouldn't, you basically shouldn't wake up and hate what you're doing. That's the bottom line. You shouldn't yeah. wake up every day and hate what you're doing, especially if you have the ability to change that and you're not stuck and you don't have a mortgage and 20 kids that, you're young, there's no reason you shouldn't be trying out as many things as possible. Right. So, like, so let's see if you, I want to, I'm curious about uh, your thoughts on this. So with millennials, like, what, what do you think that balance actually looks like? Because, I mean, for me, I know I'm, I'm pretty stereotypical as far as, like, switching jobs, trying new things, doing all that, not being loyal to a company. I think it's more so we're, we're loyal to people more so than a company because the company doesn't act as a person anymore. It just acts as this entity that just is just for shit's sake, basically for most corporate companies. Um, But like, what does that balance? What do you think that balance actually looks like between moving on and and actually like sticking with something a little longer? It's interesting that you bring this up because this is something that I've been dealing with, I guess over the last couple of years, because at the end of the day, even though I was working for VaynerMedia, the person I was loyal to was Gary. Mm-hmm. And as this, like just as the CEO and as my boss, and the reason I stayed so long was because of him. Like it was my longest job was three years because I was, you know, working at these other jobs that didn't suit me and didn't make sense and the culture wasn't there. 
And I think it does take that personal, that personal touch, that personal just tie to it to make you want to stay and be loyal, or it needs to be hitting some other, some other mark that you need. Like it needs to be fulfilling you in some way. But right. For I think for companies like like Vayner is a corporation now, you know, or it always was yeah. a corporation, but it's corporate. You know, it's probably around at 800 people. It's hard to maintain that feel, but I know he really tries. And I know for me, if he didn't exist there and it was just, you know, just like any other company, I wouldn't have stayed. Right. So I think that is, I think that's something for people to look at when they employ, I guess when they employ anybody at this point, like yeah. you want to be treated like people and you want the people up top to care about the people on bottom. and It should be more of like a human community. Yeah, and I that's, think that's what, I, what it takes to do it. Because otherwise, I mean, at the end of the day, I was going to probably end up working and building my own thing no matter what. That's who right. I am. But because of the people and the human aspect of what he had built, I was interested in staying longer than, you know, than I would have anywhere else. Yeah. And that's, and you literally just took the words out of my mouth. I was just going to say, I think, like, I think every generation has always wanted this and craved it but they've just settled and i think millennials they're the first generation or we're the first generation that actually demands it right off the bat but i think we really are starting to demand that human aspect of a company we're not just letting it go by where we just see it as this machine that prints out a check for us every two weeks you know what I mean? Like, I think that we're actually craving the human part of it and, and the human interaction. And it's the first time that we can make the decision. Like, I can go and shop around for companies. I can go look up if I wanted to go work at another agency. I could reach out on LinkedIn to somebody at every agency in New York City or in Los Angeles or in Orange right. County. I could, you know, like, I don't know how many people would necessarily respond or write back, but if I feel like it, I can probably go after a ton of people and actually have that option and get my foot in the door at very least and take a crack at working at these places. So the company needs to care about you just as much as you care about the company that you're working for because there mm-hmm. are so many, and I mean, that's the whole thing about being kind of a promiscuous consumer now and, you know, with all these options and I hear in the dating world with like swiping and all, of, you know, Tinder and Bumble, like people just have too many options. Yeah. But I think in terms of at least where you work, it's it's good and bad because you can choose where to work or where you don't want to work. And if, you know, if you do want to work on your own and you have an Amazon account and an Instagram, you can build your own business. <laughs> you can build your own business on the internet at any point. And so right. there's the option there. Like, it's not just like, Oh, you got to go work at craft foods or general mills and this is what's happening. And there's no other game in town and you're screwed. Now, if you want, you can actually probably start your own, you know, small CPG and use influencers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so talk to me about uh, what it was actually like working for Gary. Cause I know I, I, I'm a huge fan of him. He's helped a lot. Just put, I guess really it is. It's just, he puts things in, in perspective in layman's terms, just super dumbed down, super easy to, to understand. And so I know that I have a lot of people that are listening right now that are also big fans of his. And I'm sure everybody's curious because we typically just see it from the D-Rock perspective. You know what I mean? So, like, like, what is it actually like working with him? Well, he wasn't around 
he is as busy as it seems. <laughs> I just okay. want to get that off the bat because I've worked at a lot of, you know, a lot of these big companies and I've worked with a lot of, I don't want to use air quotes, but like, you know, powerful people who are hard workers who are very, in quotes, again, successful in the traditional terms. Right. I've never seen anyone work like Gary Vaynerchuk works. I mean, I, I can't even lie about it. It's the kind of thing where you see it and it, it's unreal even in person. He really hmm. does just, he literally grinds all the time and he lives to work. And that's not a style that I recommend for almost anybody else, but he really loves it. <laughs> and so even being around that energy, you see how it kind of permeates the culture. And even when it grows, like people see that because there's a lot of people who have bosses and, you know, they have people under them. And then, you know, when you're at the top, sometimes you take it easier. Like sometimes you're not doing as much or you're delegating right. down. Gary, Gary's like whole hog in it and constantly ideating and, and just working. Like whether it has any, you know, building the agency, whether it's for his brand, whatever it's for, like taking right. meetings, doing the, like he's legitimately trying to fit his whole life in. <laughs> and it's, yeah. it's, it's definitely inspiring to watch. And so working with him, I mean, he's present, but he's also not present because he's, he's busy. So it's really as the team went, like I joined when it was way smaller, when it was like around, you know, maybe like eight people. So Mm -hmm. you really have to become close and it's kind of a, it's a startup environment. You have to be willing to do kind of anything and whatever without needing the direction from him. And you kind of have to get inside his head in order, you know, to work for him and with him that way. Because he doesn't have time to to be micromanaging. He is not a micromanager. Like, he does not, he doesn't have time for that. So you have to know what you're doing or learn what you're doing or work together to do it, which is an aspect I I really like. I think it just, I mean, I was going to say, it, it sounds like that just really sets the tone for the entire company. Because, like, I've been in situations where I have been micromanaged, and I can't stand it. I don't know anybody oh, no. that honestly I loves can't. it or could stand it. Like, oh, my God. It's like, get off my back. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> you know? But I think for him, like, it, since he just, like, almost to an extreme doesn't micromanage, I think yep. that that just builds, from the outside perspective looking in, it looks like it just really builds that um, – forever that startup feel like you were just saying like it really pushes people to try their best because they know that they're not going to be micromanaged but they know they have to do a really good job so it sounds like they it just it just delegates responsibility instead of delegating tasks I guess is how I would kind of phrase it see that startup feel is why I was so happy doing the job that I had like it it just made me feel good to know that we could also Gary's also willing to experiment on himself before anyone else. And so like experimenting on his team kind of leads to what the rest of the agency does because mm-hmm. if you have a huge client, you know, paying a ton of money, they're not always down to, to try out some experimental, let's say like influencer work when influencer right. is like starting, they're like, no, eh, like I don't see the ROI here, blah, blah, blah. But Gary's like, no, like just do whatever, like make it work. Like let's play around with this. Let's do this. And, we just do it, and then when it actually starts working, you can go to the clients and be like, oh, hey, like, this works. Like, would you be down to try this? But he's willing to test anything on himself. And I really appreciated that he invested a lot in his 
in his team and building out his team because right. he's completely given back more than tenfold to the agency, more than tenfold to, you know, his own brand. And it takes a lot of time and investment, and we'll probably get to this, you know, maybe later, but people think that it happens overnight, and I know that's like a cliche thing to say, but a lot of work went into building his brand, like over the years and pumping money into, you know, the team and our time and energy to build it out to what, you know, his brand looks like now. Like now it just feels like, you know, this huge machine, which it is, but that took a lot of time and energy and years of work and piecing it together and testing different things. And, you know, if he was like, oh, I want, you know, a million followers in the next three months at the outset, that just wouldn't have happened and he would have been disappointed. But that's right. not how he operates. He's just very intuitive. He knows, I mean, he's all the things that that you think he is. <laughs> yeah. And well, I know. And I- I love I, I love the fact that you actually pointed out because this is something that whenever I, at least for me and I'm I'm sure I can't be the only one but when he talks about like how willing and able he is to start and stop and start and stop new things all the time you kind of wonder like okay how much are you actually really starting and stopping starting and stopping but I love the fact that you just pointed that out that no he literally does but it's just that's just the behind the scenes stuff that he doesn't necessarily show everybody else because it's it's still like a work in progress. Yeah, and there's definitely, you know, so I moved to New York. He asked me to move to New York. Uh, so basically I was working there for four months in project management in the LA office. I met Gary at the Christmas party. He came back the next month. We had a one-on-one and he asked me if, one, he told me to look into growth hacking and two, he'd asked me if I consider moving to New York. I knew my mm. life was in LA. I also knew that I did not want to move to New York again, but I also know that when Gary and the CEO of your company asked you to consider moving to New York, you asked what, like, you keep your mind open to it. Yeah, so yeah. So he did ask, you know, what was it? I think I ended up moving out there October 2015. I agreed to go for a year just to, like, hustle my face off. But we didn't know. I knew he was building out, like, Vayner Talent or building out a personal branding arm once mm-hmm. I got there. But he just has all these ideas, and he's built out different aspects to the agency over time, and everything new that comes out of the agency comes out of New York because he likes it close. Even if he's right. not there micromanaging and there day-to-day, he knows where everybody is, and I think that's, that's something he's big on. He likes everybody together. So there have definitely been different arms of the agency that have existed that no longer exists but then he brings it back in some other iteration. Like he'll be talking about live events. And I think he tried to do something with live events, you know, a couple of years ago. And that iteration didn't really work out. But then, you know, I think he's doing something with Vayner Experiences now. I don't even work at Vayner and I'm talking about their, their stuff. But, yeah, you know, like it comes back. Basically every kind of just like any kind of startup. He starts he like miniature incubated startups inside the agency. And then it you know, if they work, he goes, you know, full force. And if it doesn't work, then he revamps it. Like mm-hmm. it's the fail and, you know, go at it again, if, depending on like what, what caused it to fail. So yeah, he's constantly just pumping, you know, time and energy and into things that would make sense for the future. Right. Which is super admirable. He really doesn't stop. Yeah, like, and that's one thing that I've noticed just from my own listening to, like, his podcast and things like that. Um, I love that he pushes that so much because, I mean, honestly, like, and quite frankly, I hope he hears this. 
um, seeing as though you're on it. I hope he listens to it. But I mean, it, that was a big push for me personally to do my podcast, just because I've had many people tell me over the past few years that I should podcast, but I, I just never thought that I could do it. And I didn't know how big of a deal it would be. And, and since he, he started to be like, no, trust me, audio and podcasting is going to be the new thing because it saves time. I'm like, that's, that's so smart. And then Anchor um, and, and Mike, just a genius, created this app. And now here we are. We're able to do this like, at the touch of a button on my phone. Yeah, and I really started getting serious about my content when I started working for him. It was just, it's hard to actually build out someone else's content and work on someone else's content and not feel like you should be doing it for yourself too. Right. And so he was, you know, I actually love personal branding and like I said, it's changed my life, but I wouldn't have known that if I didn't take the, if I didn't move to New York to work on his brand. <laughs> That's awesome. So and then when also you, on his brand, you, I also got to touch so many different things because you don't have necessarily super segregated roles. But I also thought that was really valuable. It wasn't like this is your defined thing and this is what you have to do and stick with. And if you, you can't touch anything else. Got it. So along those lines, being out there working with him fairly closely, being on his team, like with all of the like – just insights and piece of pieces of advice that he gives. Like, can you pinpoint a couple that you may have just learned just from osmosis or that he spoke and said to you personally that really kind of transformed and, and changed your perspective or, or helped you a lot on something? I feel like the document don't create thing has been talked about so much, but it is so true. People get so mm -hmm. hung up on on the perfect, you know, the perfect podcast. And, you know, I would, I do this too, where it's like, Oh, well, I don't want to put this out. If this isn't perfect, the perfect picture, the perfect post, no post is going to ruin you. <laughs> like you should just be putting out content. Right. Uh, like it doesn't, people are interested in, in the actual journey. Like, you know, people are interested in where he is now and his business advice, but maybe there's someone listening who's interested, you know, stuck in some career they don't like. And it's like, Oh, you know, well, Brittany did X, Y, and Z, and so maybe I should try doing X, Y, and Z. Or, you know, she didn't get stuck in this career. Or she transitioned. Or I think that there is a market for everyone, and it's just about those, you know, finding them and them finding you. Mm -hmm. I mean, the biggest things that he talks about, he talks about basically I really liked, and this is something, he talks about word being bond, but he really does, stick to what he says. When he says he cares about his employees, actually seeing it in practice and not having it be hypocritical was big for me to see. Okay. Like, there were so many times where people are like, oh, like, yeah, like my boss says he cares about me. Gary literally will give five minutes to anybody who asks who, you know, works at Boehner. Like every email, he seriously opens his door to them and will sit with them. I realized how valuable his time was, so I end up not I tried not to take advantage of that time, but if right. literally any person had a complaint, he would personally try to field it or figure out a way to like make sure that that was addressed. And I thought that was just good practice, good practice generally to actually stick to what you're saying you're doing. Oh <laughs> so yeah. I really appreciated that. I mean, in a and, world uh, where people 
on on the internet and especially just all over social media are just bullshitters. And I'm sure you've seen it way more than I have yep. just being and living in that space. Um, but I think it's so crucial for, for him to be that person and then follow through and like actually be that person that he says he is on social in the quote unquote real life, just because there's so many people out there who, who just fake who it. Faking and, it. And, yeah. And they just don't yeah. mean it. I mean, that's why Daily V, I mean, that's really why he was doing Daily V is because right. there are so many people who are trying to sell you their course who have literally not done anything aside from trying to sell you their course. And he's like, no, I'm actually working. And to me, that's, like I said, admirable. If he, uh, I mean, that, that lifestyle shouldn't be for everyone, and he doesn't promote that, that everybody should be working pretty much 24-7. But right. if he's saying he's working 24-7, he is literally working 24-7, and that's what I like about him. Yeah. It's like he's doing exactly what he's saying he's doing. And he is also giving away a lot of the content and his ideas for free. Like the stuff that he's doing, he talks about. Not mm-hmm. hiding it from you and then, you know, like hoarding it and waiting and sitting on it. That's why I still, like, there's so much content out there, but I actually do still check out a lot of his content because he is giving away those valuable nuggets. So Yeah. I mean, so many of his things that he's given out, I've, I've been using. I mean, like you said, document over create is so overused by people that are in his inner circle, you know, or part of like the, what he calls the Vayner yeah. Nation. Um, I just totally feel like I'm regurgitating all of this stuff all the time when I talk about self-awareness and I talk about these things, but they're universal concepts yeah. and yeah. they make Me. sense. And, and I, I feel the exact, I feel the exact same way. Like I, I tell people, because I've just been stepping up my social media and my personal branding um, and, and really starting to take a big focus on that. And when people ask me, like, how are you doing that? Like, how are you still gaining followers? Like, how, like and your engagement's doing well, like, things like that. I'm like, I'm, I'm documenting. Like, I tell people all the time that, like, your phone is the new reality TV. Like, you are reality TV to someone. So keep Which pumping exactly- out content why it was a good transition for me from TV to this, because this is a more real reality TV. Yeah. So being in, in the, now this, I, I just call it the social reality TV and, and in the personal branding space, like what are, like if you had a tip for the people that are listening that are thinking, okay, I really do want to actually build out a personal brand. Um, do you have like a, a tip that would help just about anybody that's listening right now as far as their personal brand? Again, like I feel like some of this stuff is so trite, but it's so true. Aside from figuring out who your audience is, I do think, and I'm going to use the word authenticity because that that is the best word for it. Yeah. Being authentic to yourself, just whatever it is, like staying consistent in terms of, and you'll figure out your own voice over time as you're posting, but keeping consistent posting plus like refining your voice, the, like your authentic voice would be my biggest tip for anybody because the people who like it will find you. I mean, obviously there's other things to like that's a gross generalization, but there's right. other tips, but I'd say that is the biggest and best tip. Like there shouldn't, it shouldn't be the kind of situation where somebody meets Gary and his content is totally different than actually meeting him. Like, they're like, oh, 
you know, he was being lazy and he wasn't doing anything and he wasn't working and he right. nothing like, like I got from, <laughs> you know, from social. Or right. The and I think that's the biggest thing. Like, I know that social, and I, you know, I've talked about this just on my personal stuff. Like, people are more than their social media. Like, it's, it's hard to meet somebody and feel like they exactly know them just based off, let's say, their Instagram. But at the same time, you shouldn't be so stunned. Like, they shouldn't sound nothing like their Instagram. They, right. Like, all of it should sound like different parts of the actual person. So if I meet you, I should at least have a sense of what I'm kind of getting into. Sure, there are surprises and along the way, but it shouldn't be, like, so shocking. It yeah. Should be you. And I and think I, that's I, the consistency. Like, ask the question, if somebody meets me, would they be surprised if this is me? And I, I love that you say that, one, because my first podcast, when I decided to start doing this, I was literally sitting outside and I had the thought, fuck it, I'm just going to start talking because I have no idea what I'm doing. And that was the first thing that came out of my mouth was talking about being authentic and, and actually having your own voice come through. Um, and then I started relating it to like podcasting and, and you started your own podcast here on anchor as well um and it sounds like you just barely touched on it now but i'm gonna i'm gonna get into that in a second um and and i'm sure you're kind of finding this the more that you do it but it's uh, for me at least i'm finding my voice so much faster through audio than i am than i was when i was first trying to figure out okay what do i want my content to look like on instagram like for me it's just so much more intuitive to make those tweaks and sound more like your authentic self when I'm speaking rather than when I, when I was making posts and I was trying to figure out, okay, what do I want this to actually look like? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a great point. And I'm finding that right now too. I, I spent so much time in Gary's world. There was a point where I was writing all of his articles for him. And okay. so I started translating things in my mind out to paper. So I'm used to giving my thoughts on paper Instead of, I'm definitely used to talking in person, but mm -hmm. not so much in the podcast realm where it's like, okay, I get on and explain. And now that I'm doing this, it's just so much easier. It's definitely going to yeah. become my preferred method, but it's, it's figuring out how you present yourself, how you present your story. I haven't done a ton of podcasts yet, but I do know that when I listen to, you know, various podcasts with the same person on it, you know, it, it varies depending on what the, you know, podcaster asks them. But everybody kind of has like a shtick or a spiel that they kind of go into and then it veers off. And I think it's mm -hmm. just refining that and getting to that point where you're just completely comfortable with yourself and telling your story that you don't need to like, you know, put it in a post. You can just talk about it. Right. And so I really do like the audio medium. So interesting perspective that I just had earlier today. So with Anchor, those who are listening uh, on like other podcast providers like Apple Podcasts and Google Play Music. So like on Anchor, like we can have call-ins, right? And people can call into your station and give their two cents on whatever your segments are for that day. So I just started this morning because I'm starting to get in, get some more call-ins, which I really love and I'm and I want more of. Um, but I literally would play their uh, call-in, and I would respond like my little bits of like. Right. Yup. Okay. Like I would do those things out loud while I'm listening 
to kind of put myself in that perspective of I'm talking to another human being. I'm not just talking into my phone. And so I don't know if that would help you um, in like figuring out audio and like your podcasting voice and like that kind of a thing. But for me, that helped tremendously when it's just me and my phone and there's no one else on the other line that I'm talking to, to like kind of almost make believe that I'm speaking to another person. Cause I think that that would add a lot. Yeah. I think it's going to add a lot of personability and what a lot of great speakers have is they have the ability to speak to an audience of like 5,000 people, but it feels like they're speaking directly to you. Um, and I think that at least in my mind, and we'll see how it goes as I continue, but kind of pretending that there's someone that I'm speaking to directly, um, I could already feel just a shift in how I was talking and how I was responding to these call-ins um, just earlier today. And audio is great because it is an ongoing conversation, even if maybe you can't hear the other person on the other side. Because, like, on Instagram, like, I can put out a post and, sure, like, people can comment and I can respond. But, like, once that post is done, it's not like the next post necessarily ties to the post before it. Like, we're probably, like, I can be on to another conversation. Where this right. feels like you can kind of keep it continuously going. And I just really like the audio aspect because it was a, it's a way that I can show another aspect of myself that, like, Instagram definitely can't show. Or mm-hmm. basically, like, if I'm, you know, if I'm in a bikini on the beach and, like, I can write, like, some in-depth posts about social media, but I think it really is helpful to hear me actually speak about it so that way you know what I know or don't know or you want to pick my brain or it's just way more of a conversation. It's just rounding out the person. I just yeah. think it's super valuable because I don't think anything rounds out a person better than, well, aside from meeting them in actual person, talking to them yeah. or hearing them speak. Yeah, no, and I couldn't agree more because, and, and I can hear it just like, and I'm sure you, you know this, but me having the conversation with you or listening to your podcast, I can hear and feel the passion in your voice so much more than you could reading text because when you're reading text, you're reading it in your own voice, your own voice, not theirs. And it's that text is then blanketed by your bias for the day. Like if you're in a good mood, you're going to read it differently. Or if you're in a shitty mood, you're going to, you're going to read it differently again. But I think with audio uh, and like, I've noticed this with a couple of times that I've listened into your station, like, it doesn't matter what mood I'm in, like it, your mood comes through because it's your voice, your infliction, the way that you speak. Um, and I just think that that's so valuable. And I've noticed that just for me, because I, I just connect better with people when I'm talking than through messages, uh, mo- like most people. But audio just gives you that ability to do that on a much larger scale. And, and just, I don't know, like you said, it just rounds people out. You, you're allowed to actually see more of who that person really is just by listening to their voice. It's interesting you say that because marketing itself, brands right now are trying to figure out how to use text messaging to get to their consumers. And they're coming up with, you know, like bots are kind of the first stage of that. And there's just some things that do not get translated via text. There's just that Mm -hmm. human element. And I know that they're going to, you know, humans are going to need to run those, uh, the text for those brands. But it just reminds me that, you know, I'll put a, you know, I can put a tweet and for the most part, most people understand what I'm saying. And then there's always like one or two people that read it completely, basically wrong, but it's reading it in a way that's right to them. 
but it's completely not what I was saying. And maybe if right. I said it out loud, they would be like, oh, yeah, no, I understand that. Or maybe they just wouldn't get it anyway, which is fine. But at least <laughs> I want to give my content the best shot that I can of being understood in the way that I want it to be understood. Yeah. Well, it's just it's context. When you when you speak, like for me, I'm doing honestly, I'm doing way better with this conversation that we're having than I have in the past. But I have so many side tangents and side thoughts. And like, thank God I was blessed with the ability to bring myself back and, and kind of make a full circle. But like with this, you can actually just give context to what you're talking about. You know what I mean? Like it's not a 140 character tweet where it takes you six tweets <laughs> to make a full, complete thought if it's something more complex than what 140 characters can hold. And before I forget, I should probably say if somebody is listening to this whole thing and they actually do have questions about, you know, how Gary was making his content, how we work as a team, and way more kind of specific questions, I'm totally down if people call into your station to answer them or they check out my station. Because I, I know that there's a lot of general kind of questions and now that I don't work there anymore, it's way easier for me to talk about them openly. Yeah. So what is what is your handle here on, on Anchor? That way people have the ability to call in. Is it still Brittany uh, Crystal? Brittany Crystal, K-R-Y-S-T-L-E. Yes, that's my middle name, and yes, that's how it's spelled. Okay, perfect. Um, so I do have uh, a question, just kind of get off, not off topic, but just in a different direction. Um, cause I know that you're, you're a big advocate for the, uh, influencer market, correct? I, I definitely believe in it. Yes. It definitely okay. works. So I, and I, cause I've read a couple of things of yours, um, and a couple of your posts on Instagram kind of start to touch on this. Um, but like we were just saying, I'm hoping for a little more context and a little, more in-depth answer because that way people can actually hear how you, how you talk about it. Um, but like, what do you sure. like through your eyes and through your experiences, what have you seen that actually helps people build real influence? Cause I, I just read like a, like a few minutes before we hopped on the phone, uh, your uh, post on Instagram when you were holding a bag of lays talking about someone holding a product doesn't give them influence. Uh, or real influence. And I just, I'm curious of what your thoughts are of what helps people build real influence over an audience and not just a big following. So that was, it was actually a bag of chips called chips that I got in Spain. I don't even know if that's a a brand name chips. It's really Oh, funny. (laughs) So, but basically I, I've been seeing a lot of, and there was an article recently about kind of fake influencers and how easy it is to kind of build up that, that following with, not even just bots, but like buying influence, buying followers and commenters mm-hmm. and then kind of putting, you know, stock photos up. Basically, like now that I've been, like I've kind of been trolling the world and looking at, you know, comment pods and all sorts of things, and I've noticed certain accounts are constantly hawking stuff. It's like, okay, a, a shoe or sign up, like, you know, tag this post and like win this camera. And every day it's like a new post about, that's an ad. And that mm-hmm. to me does not build influence. Influence is built through, and again, like you can use the word authenticity, but it's basically building trust with the audience. So people need to know who you are first and know what you're about before you can even start selling anything. Like that is hands down 
the tip for building influence is know who you are first. So that way, when you actually say something, it means something. Kind of like the boy who cried wolf. If you're constantly crying wolf, then I don't, I don't know if I can swear on this. I don't give a crap. No, go for it. You cry wolf again. So that's like all these people that I keep seeing who are literally every, every day, every week, I'm just pushing, pushing, pushing product. I'm like, what do you actually like? What do you actually believe in? What are you actually, like, why should I care? So influencers do get me to buy things. I actually buy a lot of stuff based on certain uh, beauty influencers and wellness influencers, and, and I think they're interesting to me, but they're interesting to me because they are very selective about what they actually choose to promote. Right. And they're actually, a lot of times, they're not, some of these people are actually talking about products and things that, that they're not even being paid to speak about. They're just genuinely giving value. And again, like it's about giving value to the audience, another trite thing to say, but it's, there's a reason it's trite. Mm-hmm. So like I said, it's just, it's just being selective. Like if, I mean, not to say anything, but people said, you know, people are like, Oh, do you want, you know, X, Y, Z free product in exchange for a post? And nine times out of 10, it's a no for me because that doesn't speak to who I am. And like, even if maybe it would go with my page or I could hold it and be like, Oh yeah, like I'm, you know, I'm an influencer now in quotes because I'm promoting this. Right. I don't think that that has the power of actually me waiting until I have something I actually want to promote and talk about. And then people who know me would be like, she really likes this X, this thing, whatever. Yeah. This podcast, this, product this shampoo this anything and so it's building up that trust and and knowing that those recommendations are actually valid i legitimately seen accounts that like three minimum three times a week are just like hashtag ad hashtag ad mascara here's posing with this you know this other thing here's these shoes yeah. and it, it's just like i don't listen to anything like that they have to say it's just spam at this point so yeah, that's, I mean, that's what is, me I mean, not an influencer. But they have a lot of followers, but there's nothing – like, I don't know who they are at all. I don't even know what they stand for. Like, what are they about? Right. <laughs> and that's the problem. Yeah, like, what I was hearing the most is basically, like, you're just going to promote and sell or be an influencer for a product that you just believe in. Like, I, I think there's so many people out there that you know they don't use that product or – they're holding that skinny tea or fit yep. tea or whatever the fuck it is now that they're just doing that because that's that company's tactic, but they don't actually really love it or use it. And so like, and so for you down those companies, like a lot of, I know there's certain companies that were promoting, you know, fitness supplements, but then you see that their people are all kind of fake. And then you're like, Oh, well these people don't use it. And then the product ends up going away. Like, it's not right. even good for your product if you're on yeah. the product side. No, I I completely agree. Cause I th- and, and for a lot of the people that, quote-unquote, are calling themselves influencers, I think that they, they just don't understand that the fact that they don't fully believe in that product comes across so much in the post, even if they think that they're, like, making the copy perfect and handcrafting it and taking like an hour to make sure that it's perfect. Or, I mean, I doubt they even take an hour. I bet they don't even take three minutes, but still like, it's just so obvious 
at least to me, and I'm, and it sounds like it is probably to you because you're just in that space that you, they don't believe in the product at all. Oh yeah, no, I can tell very, very quickly. It's just, it is super obvious. And I'm always curious, that always gets me curious as to who is actually buying the product, like from this post and if there is right. anybody. So I, I'm, I'm wondering if, you know, the brand asks for the metrics or how they're checking conversions and, you know, that's down another hole, but not every company is savvy, especially a lot of the smaller companies that are like, oh, hey, you know, influencers, like I should be using them. And then they give it to somebody that they think has numbers and they're not, they're not asking to see any kind of proof. Right. Or they don't really so what, know how to assess what value is. So I, I think yeah. that now is, you know, that time for influencers who want to take advantage. And I just, have, I just realized I do have a pet to you. People who call themselves influencers. That's also, I, I don't know what it is, but like when I see when it says like influencer in their profile, I'm like, oh. I don't know if you can call yourself an influencer. Mine <laughs> in general, is, I just don't think oh, that's a thing. Yeah, for me, it's if, if you call, I have three. I have three, one, three things that people put in their bios that irks me. And I, if they try and like talk to me, I'm going to be honest, I will go off on you and tear you apart. Um, either is it a, influencer? one is influencer. The second is thought leader. The fact that you yeah, need to be a self-proclaimed thought leader tells me you're not one. And then yeah, the no, third. You have to call you a thought leader. You can't call yeah. yourself a thought leader. Or, and, and then the third is entrepreneur yeah like that's one especially because of coming from gary's world like no matter the fact that i work for myself i have even if i was just pure entrepreneur i couldn't be like i'm an entrepreneur it's just it's completely salted the word for me yeah well and that's where like i really started to actually pay attention Cause now, and, and like now that I'm, I'm starting to really build my own stuff because I was in network marketing and have been for, for a little while, but I'm not necessarily pushing that as much anymore because um, I'm learning that I just love building a company. And I love like a company. And as far as like a company, I really just mean like me as a brand. Like I really just yeah. thoroughly enjoy the building of that. And I guess I don't even necessarily fully consider myself an entrepreneur, even though like I've literally sold shit since I was like, I was 12. Uh, like yeah, same. I knew I wanted to work for myself. I do like working with other people and in small teams, but th- I was never like, "Hey, that makes me an entrepreneur." It was just like, "Yeah, that makes me somebody who likes autonomy and <laughs> wants to work for myself." Yeah, yeah, and and I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm almost questioning like what really constitutes someone as an entrepreneur because I mean I've basically been a salesman my whole life as well. Like my first when I was 12, like my first little quote unquote, like business that I had was I would set up games in the basement of my parents' house and make them pay 50 cents to play this game when on any other day of the week, they could do it for free. But that day, nope, sorry, 50 cents is the cost. Yeah, my first, I remember in seventh grade, I made lip glosses. I had like a Cosmo magazine and they were obviously appealing to like teens or something. And basically you mix like Vaseline and Pixie sticks and I was selling that. But I don't think that makes me an, you know, made, made me a junior entrepreneur. But I think yeah. you really need to build, I don't even know if building your own, a brand is a business, but I can't say that even if I just built out my personal brand, that that makes me an entrepreneur. I don't know if I could get, could get there from that after working with someone like Gary, who legitimately builds, you know, building that physical business 
Mm-hmm. I've just seen so many fake entrepreneurs and people who really aren't doing it who call themselves that that it's just kind of yeah. Like, it, you, you better really you better be Richard Branson to be an entrepreneur at this point in my mind. <laughs> like it's, it's right. kind of tough. Yeah, and and it's I think to it's call yourself an entrepreneur. Other people should call should let you know that you are an entrepreneur. <laughs> right, right, and and it's I think that it's being tainted more, and I think of it now because I mentioned it by the network marketing industry. Because it's so common for everyone now. Like, I, I'm sure you get a lot of DMs of people trying to get you to buy into some opportunity or whatever it might be. But, like, granted, yes, they are entrepreneurs in the sense of they own their own home-based business. But I guess I'm starting to question, like, are they really entrepreneurs or are they just part of a big system and they just happen to profit very well off of it? That is a totally other – I mean, I'm sure there are people kind of in the MLM space who consider themselves entrepreneurs because they work for themselves, but they right. actually work for a company, even right. if they're not, you know, full-time employed by a company. I mean, that's a whole other rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah. We don't we don't need to go down that right now because I'm sure I'm going to have people yeah. that are part of the company or part of my downline that are listening to this and, like, he said what? So but, yeah, just don't put influencer in your profile or thought leader. Yep, yep. And then you're good. No self-proclaimed. Yeah. Um, okay, so I have one last question um, before we kind of wrap things up. Where do you see marketing going in the future? Like future being the next ten years. Ooh, ten years. I mean, ten years is a lot of time. We can definitely go shorter. We can go, we can go five years. Well, definitely a lot. Of, so one of my clients invests a lot in um, the text, the message text space. And I see that that is something that's up and coming. Like that is, I mean, it, it's here, but it's not here yet. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a version of more texting and more. I actually signed up for stupid. I've been getting texts from, and I'm kind of annoyed by it, a salon and a boutique and I kind of have a strong opinion on – I'm actually going to write a piece on this. Like, <laughs> brands, I'm going to text you brands. Like, you don't text me. <laughs> I think that's the new wave of where it's going. It's going to get more intrusive into your the spaces that they're not yet. And I think yeah. a lot of those, like, texting is very personal. And sure, those, there's going to be AI and bots. And I don't think 10 years we're going to have, you know, people talk about VR. I think we're still far out from that. But yeah. I definitely think marketing – the influencer space will become way, it's already saturated, but way, 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 way more saturated. Brands are still figuring out social media, but I think they're just going to be pushing into these other spaces where they think that there's, there's room. And I think text is the next big thing that people are going to be coming after that you'll be, you know, and it is annoying because if you're not texting them for like a customer service thing and they're texting you, that's the space where, you know, your family, friends, you know, you're waiting yeah. for something important. Your clients are, are supposed to be reaching out to you, and then you look and you're like, oh, 15% off whatever crap that I didn't even want. Like that, well, I think that's where it's going to enter. And then I just don't want text to become like email because I'd rather brand yeah. email me than at that point because I shouldn't be ignoring text. But I think that's yeah. going to be like the next big kind of push and pull, the thing that marketers try to ruin that I think consumers are actually going to need to be give real feedback on and be like, no, like well, we don't like this. This does yeah. not work. 
Well, here's, here's a little perspective, and, and I think we'll see. We'll just see where this goes. Um, do you think that it might be more so they need to pay closer attention and work harder on their branding and how they look and, and like, their public image and how, like, their customer base accepts them? Because, like, when you said, like, companies would text you without you texting them, like, my first thought is, I have Chipotle with the heart eyes emoji in my phone because I am pumped when I get a text from Chipotle. So I think it's the fact that, like, they branded – yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you think it That's should be, you need to, you need to be opting in. It's going to, so basically companies now are paying for a ton of data and there's companies out there that are, you know, figuring out very specifically who you are, what you like, what you're doing so they can build a profile on you. So that way they are giving you things that you, you do want and need, but at mm-hmm. the same time, there needs to be that balance that even though it might be great that you're thinking about buying something and then they text you and you're like, oh, shit, like I'm going to go buy this now. This is great. The flip side is, is those are also like that's one company texting you one thing that you really do enjoy. What about if everyone starts to do that? And how do you balance that? And what times can they do it that are appropriate? And what if you right. are, you know, in a business that you are getting a ton of text messages all the time? family, you got kids, you got all this stuff going on. How do you, how do you kind of parse and decide like, okay, you know, like Chipotle is my favorite thing ever. Like all I want are text messages for Chipotle. So even if I, you know, the other texts in my life are from important people or for people that I've actually given my phone number to like a Chipotle text now and then is awesome. But Mm -hmm. Chipotle and McDonald's and Ralph's and Albertsons and then your shampoo people and your shoe people and, you know, all the different clothing things you signed up for. And then how about all the personal brands? What if Gary wants to start texting you all the time and all these people are just like, watch my content, watch this, buy this, do this, here's a coupon. Like, that's what email is now. Right. (laughs) And it's fine because it's not, like, you can go in and check the email and for the most part you can shut off notifications. But if your, you know, mom, sister, brother, whoever wants to get a hold of you, I mean, Maybe maybe phone calls are just going to come back because you won't even answer your texts because you want to silence them. You'll just you'll mute all the texts and uh, you're just going to have to go in like email and start muting things. Right. I, don't, I just think it's going to get ruined. <laughs> I'm not it's sure gonna be how, to, how to combat that yet, but I know it's coming because I'm actually yeah. working on that side too, sadly, but also yeah. happy. I I think but I it, think you're spot on. A consumer. Yeah. I mean, I just think you're spot on. (laughs) Go. Sorry, I was just going to say quickly, as a marketer, like, yes, I want to be in your personal space. Yes, I want your phone. Yes, I want you to answer me. But on the consumer side, I'm terrified of that. I want it to be done completely appropriately so that it does not bother me (laughs) or bother anyone else for that matter. Yeah. And what I was going to say is I think you're spot on with it. It needs to be an opt-in. Like, be very strategic about how you – like convey that thought and that and the idea to your end consumer about opting in to get your the best like ROI for whatever you're doing or the best numbers. Um, but I think it has to be uh, an opt-in thing. Otherwise, you're right. They're going to ruin text message, and it's and people aren't going to like. I think it'll end up hurting that company's image and their reputation if they get to the point where they're just basically spam texting people. Cause that's, I mean, like you said, that's what they do with email now. So yeah. I just think it, it's going to be all about positioning. 
Yeah, like the easy opt out. Like if I don't want this anymore, it should be so easy to be like, nope, don't ever text me again. Because otherwise, yeah. you end up moving away from like iMessage, and then you go into like then you have to download like a WhatsApp to talk to your friends. So that way, you, I'm sure they'll come up right. with different ads for you too. But you right. have to like work around it, which makes no sense. You shouldn't have to work around the text message. <laughs> and I think a lot of companies do well, at least the ones that do have like texting, like Chipotle, for example, they'll send whatever it was like last week or two weeks ago, I got a, like a BOGO. But at the bottom of every message that they send, they say to stop this, just text back, stop. And I think that that's simple See, that's enough good. to implement. And that makes it, it, it makes it so the ball's in your court and you're the one that's in control, not the company, you know, because you're the one that's able to say at any given point in time, I can opt in and out of this. You know, like if you, if it's like for, I don't know, like a Macy's, it's probably a bad example because they're going out of business, but a Macy's, <laughs> like you can opt into their text messages and get their deals around like Thanksgiving and Black Friday and Christmas time. But then every other time of the year, you can opt out of it, but then you're going to come back. So I think that that's, that would be a really good tactic um, for marketers to use if they're going to start implementing texts, like give them their permission to opt out of these texts at any given point in time and give them the power back. That way, the flip side of that is you actually have the power because now you're creating a good positive relationship with your customer where you're giving them the choice basically to walk in and out of your store at free will. Yeah, and basically you're, you just want to make the experience better. Like for me, the holy grail of texting and what everyone's trying to do at this point is I'd love to be able to change my flight via text. I don't want to wait on hold anymore. For those kind of moments, that's that's when text will be completely incredible for a brand and a company. That would like be when amazing. When does it, I mean, that is, you know, from a marketing perspective, I think that's, yeah, the holy grail. There's nothing better than being able to handle something that's usually super time-consuming incredibly quickly and then yeah. not have to deal with the hassle. But yeah. as far as well, people inundating you with coupons and whatnot, going to have to come up with a. They're going to have to come up with a better system. Perfect. I love it, and I and I couldn't agree more. I think that one flights. Oh my god! Like if they allowed me to switch my flight or check the status or whatever it it's might being be. Being worked on. Good, because that would be amazing. Because as much as I love conversations with people. I really only love them when I want to have them. <laughs> like exactly. if I can do There's something without, yeah, if I can do something without having to talk to another human being and I can accomplish it all by myself on my time, that's incredible. And that's amazing. So. I mean, do you know how happy I am every time I call somebody who has a long hold and they're like, we'll call you back when your wait time is up. Even that yes. is great. Like anything that gives you back time. Just, yep. Just Those are my favorite. Those are my favorite because then you're like, this is fantastic. Yep, you got the right number. I'll hang up, and then you're going to call me back in 10 minutes. That way I can go about my day and do other things. Yep. So, awesome. Perfect. Well, thank you again so much for coming on. Um, it was a lot of fun to talk to you. I really enjoyed it. Um, so for those that are listening, though, before we sign off, um, where can they find you on social media again? Because I know you, you like to make yourself pretty accessible if people have questions and things like that, correct? I do. Social media is Brittany Crystal, K-R-Y-S-T-L-E. And just so people know, C-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y. 
So like people, Perfect. even when I send emails, will spell that wrong when they write back. I was Brittany just going to make you spell it out. <laughs> yeah. And then I do have BrittanyCrystal.com and pretty much every, I think on every social platform, I am Brittany Crystal. So pretty easy to find. Good. Reach out. Awesome. I love it. Well, until next time, everybody on Nick and Knight, thank you for coming on um, and, and taking a listen with us. Um, exclusively produced here on Anchor. Things are about to switch up a little bit, and I'm excited to reveal that stuff to you guys later. Um, but I can't do it quite yet until it's fully in the works. But, uh, Brittany, one last time, uh, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day and, and uh, coming on to the show. Thank you so much, Nick. It's awesome. Awesome. Take care. Bye. I work to find the finer things up in my life, so I hustle. I work to find the finer things up in my life, so I hustle. Hey. I work to find the finer things up in my life, so I hustle. I work to find the finer things up in my life, so I hustle.